We are The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. Welcome to today's pep talk, where we'll take just 20 minutes to interview leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how, insights and life lessons. To hear these incredible insights, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music or anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can simply visit thepurposefulproject.com, sign up to our mailing list and get the podcast in your inbox every single week. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for giving up time today to share your knowledge with our audience. Could we kick off perhaps by you telling everybody listening a little bit about yourself? Sure. And thanks for thanks for having me today, Simon. Really appreciate it and the opportunity to talk to everybody. Um, so my name's Joe Taylor. I'm the co-founder with my wife, Carly, of a snacks business called Real Handful. Um, we launched the business back in 2016. Um and Carly, and my, Carly and I have both spent our careers within the world of food and drink at um, places like Innocent Drinks, Kellogg's, Heinz. Carly helped launch Beyond Meat into the UK market as well. So, we, so we've done a lot within the world of food and drink and Real Handful was our, our first venture together doing something within the world of healthier snacking, as I say. Well, wow, some big names you've thrown there, like Innocent and Beyond Meat have clearly made a mark. So um, well, what, what, what a great background. How did, the, how did you lead to this business of your own? How did that happen? Quite, I guess, organically over time. So I think I'm not a born entrepreneur. I think some people describe themselves as, as born entrepreneurs. I think it had always been, starting my adventure had always been something that had, had niggled away and had been there in the background. And I, I remember after uni going off to, to Sheffield Uni, did a little summer school on entrepreneurship. And you could kind of go along for a couple of weeks, write a business plan get it torn apart and I came away from that realizing that I definitely needed to go and get a few years of experience under my belt within within the world of work so um after uni I went off to IBM and then and then followed Carly my wife into food and drink which is I think the first big thing for me was finding the industry that I love and for me that's food and drink I just I, I never tire of talking about the world of food and drink it's it's tangible it's something that's relevant to everyone it, it's got so many kind of facets to it from um, you know, Michelin star cuisine through to to the kind of stuff we do, which is more kind of everyday snacking and trying to make those little moments special. Um, and, and then having worked within food and drink, um, predominantly on the commercial side and moving around from, uh, had the opportunity to go and join Innocent and then, and then Kellogg and Heinz and Carly was doing, building similar experience. I think we got to the point by 2013 where we were both kind of 15 years into our career and built a good amount of experience um hopefully started to understand how you kind of join all the dots of bringing a product to market and and that's what really gave us the confidence to to give real handful a go i think was just was just having a little bit of having been there and done that and, and for us despite having mortgage and kids and things like that for the first time probably felt like the right time to kind of back ourselves and, and take that risk if we were ever going to so um, yeah, and then, and then part of our journey has been trying to do that, as I say, as parents with young children and a mortgage and trying to do it in as low risk a way as we can do. So our, our, our motto versus other stories you hear has always been we've never wanted to kind of put the house on the line. So it's always been gradually, gradually. And that meant two, three years from registering the business and the idea through to launching in February 2016. And, and then it wasn't until 2019 that Carly joined the business full time. Um but, but that that was that was kind of the background taking taking that leap at the point where we felt like we had the kind of the confidence and experience to to give it a really good shot. And you weren't scared. It was literally like, okay, let's do it. There was no fear. Um, 
I guess that comes down to the trying to manage the risk, isn't it? So um, I definitely wasn't scared because I, 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 I'm definitely excited about working for myself and setting the direction and surrounding ourselves with people that kind of help us on that journey. So um, it's, it's never felt particularly scary, but once it became a real thing, there have definitely been scary, scary moments in the journey of the business when you're looking at funding situations and product situations and customer situations, you're always you're always one email or phone call away from disaster, it feels like. So you definitely you definitely feel like you're kind of you live under a high level of threat day to day than you do when you're um working nine to five uh for somebody else. And the working with your partner thing, this comes up a lot within our network. It's um, I worked with my partner for 10 years. I, I absolutely loved it. I'm not saying it was easy, but a relationship isn't easy, is it, in general? So, you know, it, um, it, it definitely is something, if you get it right, that's magical. How do you think you've managed to get that right? What What's the secret formula? Uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if you ever know if you've got it right, but, but we definitely enjoy it day to day, and, and, and it seems to be working, I think. First and foremost, we're both food and drink geeks, so it's a lot of the conversation at home anyway. So, so business does tend to kind of overlap into home time once the, the kids are gone to bed, and, and we need to kind of wrap up on any any last topics of the day that we're covering off. Um, I think for us, we're quite fortunate that Carly and I are, are very different. So we, we both work on different areas of the business. So so there's quite a clean separation from I'm the the sales kind of product development, uh, the kind of person who gets excited about the the, the what's going to happen 12, 18, 24 months down the line. Whereas Carl is just a, we did little Myers-Briggs. There's only five of us in the team, but we did Myers-Briggs a couple of weeks ago. And then kind of Carly and I are almost complete opposite. So she's a, she's very much a kind of complete finisher and, and, and really into the detail of executing the plan right now, keeping an eye on the finances and the operations. So um, I think the big thing for us is, is probably just been that, that natural separation and kind of um, where we complement each other. And then it's just making sure that we don't, fall out too much about how different we are and our, our styles of doing things day to day and good advice there and having very separate job roles but the same moral code is how i sometimes describe mm. it i think that's that's yeah. and having the same passion really helps I, I i personally find working with my partner to be it makes life easier because <laughs> you're not you know oh yeah. six o'clock where are you oh you're still working you know don't you love me anymore it's like oh no you know you get torn between the love of the business and the love of your life right and no one wants to be caught in that, in that situation but did you have the three kids when you started or you know is this been a progression over time uh, we had two at that time oh no no we had one when we registered the business two when we launched and then and then the third louis kind of followed not not long after wow um, well done they're definitely going to the, you know yeah yeah you know definitely definitely a juggling act but i think it's um equally it's be, and, and i think there is that kind of stereotype and, and probably that feeling that giving these things a go before you have kids is easier but i think I think actually for us kind of having kids is a really nice distraction between five and eight, eight thirty every day from um, otherwise work could become a bit 24 seven when, yeah. when you're working with your partner as well. I mean, again, for my listeners, I think this is a really interesting couple of points you're bringing up here. You know, the, the whole um, do it steady, do it carefully, um, minimize your risk by taking your time which I think is really interesting because mm. that's not spoken about enough, especially with the kind of big headlines, hundreds of millions raised, this, that, and the other. You know, I think there really is something in this, just that you, you, you have a love for food, you want to build something special, and you take your time to do it, right? I think that, that is such a good yeah. message. I think the other point here that I find interesting is a lot of people think 
maybe a lot of my listeners, or I've got kids, I can't start a business. But I actually have personally found I spend more time with my son because I'm self-employed. I find that you actually can carve out time when they're free to be with them. Whereas if you work for someone else, you generally have a fixed roster, right? So it's a little harder. No, definitely. And and, and I think when you're working for yourself, you you make a lot of trade-offs to do that. And and you've got to enjoy those. You've got to enjoy the upsides of, of... certainly have been your own boss and having a bit of flexibility and, and, and letting your family work around that as well. Yeah, sure. I remember the first time um, my son, who's now three and a half, he was two when he said, daddy's doing a podcast. I'm like, wow, you know, your children also learn a lot from what you're doing, right? So you, you know, if, uh, if, if, you, if your business doesn't become a billion dollar company, which I'm sure it will, your kids' company will because they'll be learning from you, right? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, they're, um, I mean, I, I don't remember snacking as a kid, but, my 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 kids are, are and i think it's common for every parent now is snacking is just a big habit right for for everybody and and kids are picking up on that as well so um so it's something we need to be aware of and it's something they're definitely aware of as they're growing up as well now i know when you started out um you you managed to get some investment how did you secure investment a lot of people who are starting a business would love to have an investor what what did you do how did you make that happen uh or yeah, investment's a big a big topic, um, and one that that we've definitely done in a, a non traditional route versus the kind of the big investment stories, like you say, the big raises that you read around the press. So we we, we our, our investment journey is probably very similar to, as you say, the, the description of taking our journey kind of slowly but surely. So in the early days, we we had a little bit of friends and family investment, which was enough for us to kind of mock up the concept of what we wanted to do so so kind of the inspiration point for our handful by the way is is kind of trail snacking having had those snacks in america so it's fruits nuts and seeds it's it's plant-based stuff blended with a bit of confectionery executed with flavor so from that starting point we we raised initial investment by scoping the scoping the market writing the business plan trying to get a bit of, of confidence from friends and family to allow us to then develop a product range get into some factories trial some products um, and by the time we got to 2016, we were then working with, in Manchester where we were based, working with the growth company around Dragon's Den pitching events. So, you know, you very quickly in food and drink, it's it's a kind of, you know, our, our model in food and drink is very much a high, high volume, low margin business. So we have to deliver a, our brand at a, a certain level of scale before it becomes profitable. So it's definitely a journey that requires investment to support it. And, and for us, the first couple of rounds of that were then angel investors just meeting those high net worths within the Northwest that were had some passion or interest in what we were doing and were willing to back us at that stage, you know, absolutely leveraging the fact that you're SEIS eligible as well. So there's a, a you know, a, a decent tax incentive for someone to, to, to take a punt on you in, in those early stages. And then once we had launched in 2016 with Ocado, with Holland and Barra, you know, and in 2017 with Sainsbury's and other retailers now, but, but that's become a little bit more formal to the point where last, uh, at the end of 2019, ahead of, um, ahead of 2020, we had our first kind of um, mini private equity investment from from Northern Powerhouse. That's a British business bank backed fund. So it's kind of a mini a mini VC fund um, that's there to really help local businesses in Northwest area that are ready for scale. So for us, it's been about, by the end of 2019, we've we've proved ourselves. We've got this grocery distribution. Now we want to accelerate things, and 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 what the right sources of finance to help us achieve that as well. Um, but it's it's definitely been the area of the business that's been the biggest learning curve that's caused the most sleepless nights is 
um, you know, just understanding how you keep the the fuel and the fire, the thing, particularly in the early stages where you don't already always get every decision right. You, you know, you don't always get every customer listing kind of rocketing from day one. That, you know, there's an iteration to this thing as well. I think a lot of people dream of having a, a product business like you've got, but I I think the upfront structure is really tough, isn't it? I mean, I, I was reading that, and it might be out of date, but it's, you're in, in over a thousand uh, stores across the UK and on major retailers like Ocado and Asda and Sainsbury's and Waitrose. But with that amazing uh, distribution network comes a lot of upfront cost to get the product on those shelves, right? Yeah, yeah, and and and, and that's you, you know, like I say, it, it's not it's not high margin it's not high margin play. So it's, you know, it's very much about within food and drink, trying to hit that tipping point as quickly as you can do as a business to you know, work with those supermarkets. Um, and, and I think from the outside, people look at that and like you say, they look at the distribution points, they look at the customers they're working with and they think job done. But like you say, there's a lot invested to get to that point. And then the real measure of success is the other half of the journey, which is people that have never met you or come across your brand before discovering a brand adding it into their repertoire coming back to it on a regular basis as a, as a product that they they can turn to on a on a on a daily weekly basis as well um so it's you know there's certainly an element of, of funding ourselves to get to that first point but making sure you don't forget the second half of that journey as well which is making sure that that you're out there shouting and and, and people are able to hear and know more about what you're doing and tell us if you went back to the beginning of building this business and, and what would you do differently? Is there anything that jumps out at you that I wish I'd known this? Again, thinking of my listeners that might like to learn from your failures or successes. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's, a really, it's a really interesting question because hind, you know, hindsight's always golden, isn't it? And, and, and it's, it, it's always easy to look back in reflection. I think our biggest thing, we, we work within the world of snacking um and as i say our our start point was trying to bring trail ingredients which is a really big category in the states and 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 fruit and that snacking which is which is popular in the uk um but is very led by kind of supermarket owned labels and and so for us one of our big things was trying to create value in our brand going into that category And and i think the one thing that we probably got wrong and we didn't listen to quickly enough with within the journey of real handful was what the sales data was telling us versus what the buyers and customers that we met face to face were telling. So, so we've learned by working with major supermarkets, and I think it, I think this probably parallels to other industries. Is there's a real difference between talking to somebody about what you want to do within the category between someone trying your product, experiencing your product, and 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 thinking it's a real positive to um, your product that that someone's never seen before in a part of the country that you're not in, picking your product up completely remotely. So. So we, we create the, we started off creating snack mixes and, and we were probably over-engineering a little bit. We were, we were adding very premium ingredients in. we were flavor infusing fruits to bring new flavors to the category. Um, it was hard enough to explain the value in what we were doing when we were at a, a trade show, a BBC good food show talking to somebody, um, people enjoyed the snacks whenever they try them, but trying to communicate that through packaging on supermarket shelf is a really, really difficult job. And, and we've taken that learning a lot in the last 12 months as we've been working on our plans post-COVID and, and, and a, a big focus within the business on our savory snacking ranges to adapt, taking that learning and applying it to, to new products that we're launching going forward. So, you know, things like this year, launching savory snacking, we've launched savory mixes, but we've also just launched a peanut as an example. And, and, and we're, we're taking that product through a baked rather than fried or roasted journey 
and we're just trying to iterate something that's really familiar and really simple for people to understand and just just do it better and present it in a better way. Um, and I think there are lots of really good examples of of businesses that have done that successfully within food and drink rather than trying to over-engineer a solution and and try and drag consumers on that journey, try and take them on the journey through simpler steps with with, with just better versions of the, the things they're used to day to day. It's an interesting one. I think, uh, again, uh, I know a lot of people that listen to our podcast, they, they have a tendency to overthink things, right? You know, you over-engineer things. Um, and I was just looking at uh, Marks and Spencer's stuff and how interesting it is that, they, I mean, I don't like their, personally, I don't like their plastic policies, a lot of stuff covered in plastic. But what's interesting is they literally just take a product and they wrap it in plastic. So you can see it. The packaging is yeah. the product. You know, you can see the fish you can see you know they literally re- yeah. there's hardly any labeling because they could just say look here it is just you, you can see it which is an interesting one isn't it it's like going back to basics it's like thinking about it so much you do hardly anything <laughs> yeah and it's and it's and, and when we we had this funny scenario from 2018 2019 where the business was two years old and we we invested in, in working with a creative cool creative agency in london they created some beautiful packaging that won lots of international awards um but our packaging didn't have any windows on it. So mm. people who hadn't seen the product before, exactly like that MS example, um, found it difficult to understand the concept of flavor juice fruit anyway. And then even then they don't know what it is. So are they buying a bite? Are they buying a mix, et cetera? And, and you know, I've worked in the industry for 15 years and managed to make that that mistake um, you know, three, four years into our journey. So, you know, we, we start with basically, you know, the simple stuff like making sure every product we launch now has got a window or a nice big photo of, of the food on there because you buy with your eyes within within this within this food and drink sector. Um, uh, I think I think you've just saved yeah. anyone that's thinking of doing a food and drink business. You probably just saved them a couple of hundred thousand dollars in uh, branding uh, work because they you know, it's literally. I mean, Starbucks again. I don't like to. I don't not a big fan of Starbucks anymore. But their their drinks are clear. You can just see it. You know, there's no. It's not hidden Ooh. behind. It's there. Um, and and so that in itself is the ad, isn't it? So it's a fascinating one. Do you think? Um, yeah. Do you think there's any personal characteristics that have led you to the success you've had? Is there anything that you think? Oh, you know, try to de- you know that you've developed in yourself. I mean, I, I I think the big one, and we talked about it right back at the beginning, is just a love for the industry. So if you if, if you're going to get stuck into your own venture, absolutely doing it in. in doing it in a field that, that you really genuinely are passionate about, I think gives you a massive advantage. So, you know, I never tire of tinkering with our range, thinking about new products and development because, because I just love the possibility of food and drink and what we can do with healthier snacking. Um, for me, I think a big part of it was doing it at the point where we had that level of experience where, um, we tried to avoid too many of these mistakes. Um, and then in my, I think in terms of my, my particular nature, I mean, I, I, I got into healthier snacking by, uh, my background in my twenties, I, I, I did Ironman triathlon and a lot of long distance running. So, um, quite, I think I'm quite a dogged person. So I think that kind of dogged determination and, you know, the, the journey of real handful, I think I can make by comparison, which is, it's not been a short, you know, rocket ship journey to, to success overnight, you know, we're still on that journey and, and it's about iterating and evolving and improving what we're doing, just sticking with it, sticking with it, sticking with that belief in, in the end goal of where we can take it to. Um, so I think definitely, you know, persistence is a, is a really, really kind of key value. Um, uh, when you get, when you, when you're going into the world of entrepreneurship, for sure. Do you think your 
I mean, one of the things a lot of people ask us is like, what's my purpose? What what would I love to do? What, did you, you know, did you really think that snacking would turn into a, a business for you? I mean, everyone loves this. Well, most people, people that I want to be friends with anyway, like to snack. <laughs> you know, if you don't yeah. like to snack, I actually think there must be something wrong with you. Um, but, you know, it's um, assuming that 99% of the world likes to snack, you know, not, not everyone can turn that that enjoyment of snacking into a business did you always yeah. know that this was kind of part of your destiny to be involved in this space i mean clearly you got involved with like you mentioned earlier you and you and your wife innocent and beyond meat and and so on so there was always an attraction but did you know it was what you were meant to do or did it just happen naturally over time no it, it, it from from kind of 2006 2007 when i was becoming much more as I, I, I was working at innocent at that time I was becoming much more conscious of what i was snacking on particularly in relation to exercise at the time but then you work in the industry you become more aware of it i mean the, it, it comes back to our vision with real handful which is we want to make healthier snacking more prevalent more fun and tasty and, and, and more affordable as well and i think when you look at snacks by consumption in the uk aside from fresh fruit, which is number one, the next two are crisps and chocolate, and none of the rest of the top 10 are, are nutritious foods. So, um, I th- you know, we've got a really big mission to make snacking, you know, to flip those numbers, to, to turn the, the consumption of nut and seed snacking and, and flip it with the consumption of potato crisps because you have a massive, massive kind of macro impact on UK diets by doing that. When we look at flipping chocolate into kind of, chocolate infused trial mix and things like that you take 284 billion calories out of the uk diet so um that's the kind of big conversation that um draws us to this category and just feels like there's so much more work to do on this journey to get to that point and then the balance is trying not to do that in a preachy way because because that's what turns me off about the world of food and drink is often healthier things or or more um you know better versions of things become a little bit preachy a little bit worthy a little bit you know expensive in particular and i think you know our big thing is that that healthier snacking should be accessible to everybody and should be delicious for everybody and 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 that's the balance that we're trying to really strike on this journey is is kind of to walk that line in the right way um so we have got loads more work ahead of us to 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 do it's a great vision though and um and i know you've got uh, a range for kids as well which I know, you know, my son who's three and a half, he, he just loves snacking. I think he, he, he copies me. And so, um, you know, what I eat, he eats. So I think if I snack healthy, he will snack healthy. And so it's a really interesting dynamic, but it's good you've got the kids, kids range there too. Yeah, you've got to have a bit of balance. And I think what we didn't expect as well is um, our kids love the nut, nut snacks. And obviously with allergies and things like that, you have to be really, really careful. But a lot of the nuts and seeds that we, we use in our, in our products are, a really kind of great slow energy fuel for kids as well. I think a lot of kids snacking has, has gone down the route of kind of, you know, kind of sugar and fruit carbohydrates, um, which isn't a bad thing at all, but, but obviously needs to be balanced out slightly. So um, I, I think kids snacking is something that, um, you know, well, certainly the school's food trust are, are, are very aware of, um, but can always be tricky when you look at allergens within a school environment. So it's trying to provide those at-home solutions to complement what's going on within schools as well. Yeah, and it's uh, it's just my son has allergies actually, so I can relate to the yeah. point you're making. But I think that at the end of the yeah. day, um, there is of course also a massive obesity problem, both here in the UK and worldwide. And and I think having taste, as you say, healthy snacks for kids generally is such a good mission. 
um, and and of course for adults too. But look, I, I could keep talking to you forever because I feel like you've got so much entrepreneurial knowledge. I, I could just keep you. You've got a business to run, and I want to let you go and run that. But I want to thank you for taking time out to share with us your insight and your journey, and and being a part of our podcast. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Simon. Hope you enjoyed Joe's insights today. If you did, do me a favor, click the links below, go visit his social media handles, give him a like. It absolutely will cost you nothing to do that. And if you're feeling hungry as I am right now, go buy some of his snacks and have some fun. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Pep Talk today, powered by The Purposeful Project. If you found it interesting, please give us a review and follow us. In addition, you can sign up to our website and get loads more free entrepreneur knowledge as well as get access to Pep Talk and the Purposeful Project podcast direct in your inbox every week.